2020 episode 177. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host that brings you the Monday through Friday news show on the 2020 elections this is ion 2020 taking a libertarian look at the 2020 elections every single day so that you can be aware of what's going on and make the best memes and have the best conversations with your friends about the politics and the policies and the positions of the politicians that are running for the 2020 elections so i appreciate you joining me every single day while i do this show and uh, make sure that we move forward and march forward towards the 2020 elections so that you can I don't know, if you want to vote for whoever is the best candidate, go ahead and do that. If you want to abstain from voting, you can do that. If you want to support one of the third parties, like the Libertarian candidate, you can do that as well. And uh, the larger we bring, or the larger we get our movement of Libertarians, the more the two parties that are the dominant parties will listen to Libertarians and their views, because uh, cause we... If we become, if we start growing our movement and making a huge movement of people, I think that's going to be very beneficial to the culture at large. Because that's my goal, and that's my thought process on this: is that if we could change the culture and the way that we think about our government, the way that we, the things that we demand from our government, if we have less of them, and as a, as a nation, if people rethink what their expectations are from their government, then we'll probably have politicians that are going to pander to that as well. So as the libertarian movement grows, so tr- so also will the uh, the pandering to us, you know? The, like, more politicians will pander to us so they can hopefully get our vote. For example, you have, like, the Thomas Masseys over there in Kentucky, right? He's a very libertarian-leaning candidate. He's a very li- libertarian-leaning congressperson. And... He's going to, I mean, if, if his constituency demands it, that's what he's going to go for. You know, he seems like he's unwavering in his libertarian views. Um, but there's going to be more candidates that are going to realize that. Holy cow, look at this Thomas Massey. He is a congressman in Kentucky, and he still gets reelected time and time again holding these libertarian views. Maybe I'll run for Congress as well and hold those similar views also. That's what that's what will happen. Like, there's one congressperson that Tom Woods interviewed that's running in Maine. He's a libertarian that's running for Congress in Maine. I think he's in like the, the Maine Senate right now. And he's a Ron Paul libertarian. Very strong, you know, advocate for individual rights, limited government, and so forth. And if somebody like that is going to run and if they win, then we have another voice in Congress, you know? So these candidates will start to see that, hey, I need to have more libertarian views if I'm going to get reelected, or candidates that want to get elected will be more likely to run if they see that libertarians are getting elected into Congress as well. So anyway, that's that's just the view. Man, I'm telling you, if I had to record this show live, I don't know that I would ever get it done. And the reason why is because sometimes I'm sitting here and I'll actually record the first 
I don't know, minute or so of this show, I'll record it four or five times trying to get it right. And I say generally a lot of the same things every single day when I'm opening up the show. But sometimes it's like my sinuses are terrible. Sometimes I'm just having some major congestion in my nose. Sometimes I'm coughing and everything like that. And I apologize today. Something's in the air. I think it's probably this hurricane is blowing a lot of the old... A lot of the old pollen up from the spring, and it is just uh, caught in my throat. And it is just, I mean, I, I might sound a little bit different just because of that a little froggy because of the, the pollen in the air, this hurricane. I'm in South Carolina, that's where I record from. And we got some pretty major wind going on right now. There's quite a bit of wind, and it's probably blowing up all the pollen, so it's got my sinuses just, uh, just, a, just a wreck right now, so I apologize. But uh, anyway, guys, today what I want to talk about was this. on Wednesday there was a town hall that happened it was a climate change town hall with the with the Democratic candidates so you had all 10 of the candidates that are basically going to be on stage next week during the uh, debates and they were having a town hall with these candidates to let them express their views on climate change I did not watch it, so I'm not going to get into the whole details of the entire thing. Didn't even know it was happening. The reason why is because I don't really follow the news that much. I'm not. It's not like I'm sitting here watching CNN and Fox News or MSNBC all day, every day. I probably should so that I could have more awareness of exactly what's going on in the news at all times with these candidates, but my my personal feeling is i just can't stand watching the news i can't stand watching the pundits on the news giving their stupid opinions about the crap that they think is important in this world when politics is only about half of the important parts of the world i don't know 10% of the important stuff in the world when it really comes down to it right because how does it really affect you except for your paycheck every single day yeah there's other stuff obviously that affects you too but um if you're going to let these candidates run your lives that much, I just don't think that it's that important. That's why I don't really pay attention to it. I feel a lot more stressed out when I'm watching the news every single day than I do when I don't. So I try to avoid watching the news constantly. And I try to, I I, I basically look at the hill.com and I look at a few other um, websites in order to get some general ideas of what's going on with the candidates and their policies so that I could bring those things to you. And that's what I... I mean, that's basically... I do a lot of reading. And I think that reading is good because I like to get the facts. I don't like to look, look, read opinion pieces too much. I do read some. But I like to get the facts of the situation. I like to get the facts straight from the horse's mouth. And, and there, there are some news outlets that do that. Where they give you the news. And you have to read between the lines a lot of times. In order to try to filter out the opinion of the person that's writing that piece. But if you get, just get the news part of it, that's good. If you could just read that. And that's what I do. I don't want to hear... I don't want to watch Hannity where Hannity obviously has a political agenda. Rachel Maddow has a political agenda. And every single person they bring on their show, they'll have three people that agree with Rachel Maddow. They'll have one person that does not. They all beat up on that one person. Vice versa. Same thing with Sean Hannity. He's going to have two or three people that agree with him on the particular issue, he'll have one person that doesn't, they'll beat up on that one person. Uh, Sean Hannity might bring on some people that he disagrees with and start arguing with them and debating with them. I just can't stand watching all that stuff. But I was 
reading a little bit about one of the things that Bernie Sanders says during this uh, town hall on Wednesday night, and I just wanted to bring that up to you guys, all right? It says on the hill.com, Sanders under fire for remarks on population control. So, during this during this town hall, they let all of the 10 candidates, I guess they got, you know, 15, 20 minutes of their own time to take questions from the audience. And one of the people in the audience says, Empowering women and educating everyone on the need to curb population growth seems a reasonable campaign to act. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address the climate catastrophe? So, you guys have probably heard that there are some women that are abstaining from having children now, even though they really want to, that's what they say, right? Even though they really want to in order to um, protect the climate, because they say they've been convinced that one child, two children, whatever, each child is going to contribute to the climate catastrophe by adding, you know, 40,000 tons of CO2 into the atmosphere or something like that during their life. So they've convinced women, a lot of young women, into thinking that if they have kids, it's going to ruin the world, it's going to destroy the world, right? So what this lady was asking is, are you, they were asking Bernie Sanders, are you going to make this a key feature of your plan to address the climate change? And then he says, Bernie Sanders basically says, yes, the answer has everything to do with the fact that women in the United States by the way, have a right to control their own bodies and make reproductive decisions. The Mexico City Agreement, which denies Americans aid to those organizations around the world that allow women to have abortions or have, or even get involved with birth control, is to me totally absurd. So I think, especially in poor countries around the world where women do not necessarily want to have large numbers of babies and where they can have the opportunity through birth control to control the number of kids they have, is something I very, very strongly support. So, he basically was agreeing, yes, we need to seek to control the population by saying that, and also have America make it a policy that we will support countries that are going to use that money to go towards abortion. Whether you agree with abortion or not, it's the, the... the fact comes down to should the federal government be involved in abortions, right? Should the federal government be involved in abortions in the in the United States, or should it even be involved in sending money to abortion clinics across the world? Whether you agree with abortion or not, I don't think that the that's the federal government's job. I don't think that's the that should be a policy of the federal government to be sending money to abortion clinics in the first place, no matter where they are in the world. So, to get off that subject, he's, they're trying to turn talk, or they're trying to turn this debate from a climate change debate to a women's choice debate. That's fine, but it really comes down to, is he for population control? And it sounds like he says yes. When the government gets involved in population control as a policy there becomes bureaucracy that builds up around that. There will be. If there's one person put in charge of distributing money to help control the population, to help educate women to have less children across the world, 
then you get two people that are doing it and three people. Then you get do-gooders that are going to try to make it uh, get get more involved in it and so forth. And then it becomes a policy to limit the number of children that people have to the point that at some point maybe they try to pass a law to limit the number of children that they have. It might not happen today. It might not happen next year. It might not even happen in five or ten years. But it's a policy of the U.S. government to try to control population and at that point the bureaucracy grows around it and that's the thing that we need to I mean we need to protect against stuff like that in America because that's a bad policy that policy in China started with the one child policy in China right they've kind of came back on that policy because the reality is is one child per two parents if you had that policy going into the future you're going to have a very hard time having a population large enough to take care of all the old people one day I mean that's the reason why people had so many kids back in the old days right if you look at the 1700s, 1800s before the 1900s cities yeah in cities people would have less kids But if you are in rural areas, if you are in a poorer area, you're going to have multiple kids. You're going to have lots and lots of kids. You might have 10 kids because it protects you when you get older. If you have 10 kids and back then you would have 10 kids and four of them might die, it hedges you you as you get older so that you're going to have people to take care of. You're going to have grandkids to take care of you. When somebody has one child, there's not that ability for that child to take care of you when you when they get older. They might move to California and you live in South Carolina. You and your wife, you're going to have one child to take care of two of you when you get into your old age. No, you're going to end up in a nursing home or something like that. So back in the old days, it was imperative to have multiple kids to take care of because there wasn't nursing homes. There wasn't you know the the same economy that we have today where there's options for people that are older and retired but as you get as economies become as the economy grows you're going to and, and if especially if you're living in a city most people will have one or two kids like today i think the average is 1.7 ch- children per per couple i guess in in america and yeah 1.7 children per family in America is what it is so the population growth is not even at the capacity to replenish itself right and they say that that could be a catastrophe down the road look at Japan their population growth has basically stagnated and so has their economy but as economies progress as economies grow people tend to have less kids anyway because there's not a need for that if you feel wealthy if you feel like the future is bright you're not gonna have as many kids you don't need the kids to work on the farm a kid a child is a liability in some ways right because you have to pay for them you have to pay for their college you have to pay for their diapers you have to pay for every dollar that you spend on them forever so having one kid that that's the fulfillment that you might get you might have two kids that that'll fulfill you even more you might have always dreamed of having three kids. But at some point, you might say, you know what? That's enough. That's plenty. You're not thinking to yourself in your mind, 
I need kids to work the farm, or I need kids to take care of me when I get older. But in poorer nations, and in poorer societies, you have people making decisions like that. More kids. It's going to help to support the household. And that's what he's... I mean, if he's talking about population control across the world, the best way to have population control across the world is to have thriving economies. That's it. It's been proven that thriving economies cause people to have less kids. Not because of anything except for the fact that people desire less kids because a child is... I mean, if you live in a one-bedroom apartment in New York City and you have a kid, you might have to upgrade to a one and a you know or a two bedroom apartment or something just a little bit bigger. And it's going to cost you extra money. So you're going to make decisions financially based upon that kind of stuff. It's just the way that people think, right? If you're out in the out in the country, out in a rural area, you might have a few more kids than one or two. But if you don't have a farm, if you don't have I mean, you're not thinking in the terms of I need more kids for retirement when I when I'm grow old so they can take care of me. You're not making this, but in poorer countries and in places, you know where you're in rural areas and stuff like that, you might make decisions based upon different things. But the point is, we don't need population control. I mean, that's that sounds sick. And the the scariest part of it is the countries that have enacted po- population control. China, they're gross violators of human rights. They are. You're going to, I mean, population control is absolutely terrible. Essie Cup, she said in a tweet, she says, How do you not say unequivocally no to the question of whether you support the idea of curbing population growth? Through abortion to reduce climate change? Well, watch this. Is a, or then she, I guess she gives a link to like a, another Twitter handle, but um, it's true. You should unequivocally say no to population, like to have a government policy to curb population growth. Because when it becomes a government policy, all government does is enact by using force. That's how they enact their policies, by using force. They might incentivize people at first... But if you look at China, the One Policy Act, or One Child Policy Act, after they had one child, you were sterilized. Forced sterilization. If you end up having two children, you better keep that child hidden from society, or else that child will be taken away from you. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Absolutely terrible. It's, it's. I mean, they were comparing it. A lot of the conservatives were comparing it to eugenics. But anyway, I don't want to get too much further onto this idea. I just think that Bernie Sanders might have just shot himself in the foot with this idea. I wonder what the other candidates would have said. That's what I. That's what I was trying to look up, and I don't see anything else. Whether that question was asked to any other candidates as well, because it's important to know where they stand. Are they for population control or not? But the idea is, if there's a girl that really believes that population, or that, you know, having a child is going to affect the environment in a negative way, that's fine for that person to make that decision on their own. But it does not need to become a a government policy. It absolutely should not be a government policy. And 
if Bernie Sanders is elected and he wants to make something like that a government policy, he's already floated the idea out there, right? It's already out there. So he, if he gets elected, he has one person on his entire staff that's in charge of that particular idea, right? And then ultimately, money starts getting funneled into educating people across the world about climate change and how having less children is going to help you out. And then ultimately, you have two people, three people, four people, until it finally becomes a huge bureaucracy, or a small bureaucracy, that's doing something to help, supposedly help control climate through population control. But then it becomes acting, enacting laws and so forth, because once that ball gets rolling, it could become a slippery slope. So that's all, guys. That was scary. That that's kind of that's kind of weird that he would he would be okay with that. But you know what? He is in his heart of hearts. I know he is a he is a a communist. I mean, he was in communes in the 70s and 60s and 70s in Vermont, I guess. So the idea that a top-down approach on everything is okay because it's better for the masses. He doesn't believe in the individual. That's what it is. There is no individual in the communist world. There's not. So that's why he would be okay with saying that. Because you have to look at the population as a whole in his mind rather than the individual on their own. That's just the way that the communists, that, that's the communist view of the world. You are not important. The group as a whole is important. And if he feels like enacting population control is going to help the group, whether it's whether it's true or not, whether it will help or not, if he feels that way, or not just him, but the all-knowing leadership of the group, if they feel that way, if they could come to a consensus and say, yes, this is the way it should be, then it's okay in their view. If the government says it's okay, it's okay. That's just the that's the way that the communist system works. Now everyone says, "Oh yeah, this you know, Soviet Union wasn't real communism." Blah blah blah. That's true. That's what they say. You know, um, that's not what the leaders were saying. They were trying to sell it as much as they can as communist communism. And they even had the people that were in like the the academics and stuff backing them up on the idea that this is what we're trying to move towards is communism and how is the best way to do it so I mean I know for a fact that Bernie Sanders in his heart of hearts is a communist he's a a worshipper of the communist manifesto in some ways you could see it in his policies you could see it in the way that he spoke in the past you could see it in the way that he speaks today but he's trying to soft sell it that's what it is. But anyway, so him agreeing with eugenics in some ways, I can I wouldn't put it past him because that was an idea in the past. The Population Bomb, I think, was the name of the book. And it scared the hell out of me in college when I heard about that, right? It really did. Because I didn't understand advanced societies not having as many children, right? But he, the, the book, The Population Bomb, I think the way it was written was that over time, populations double, right? 
and the doubling happens, like they say, from the first 10,000 years of human existence, the population of humans went from like a million to two million. And then it took, you know, 8,000 years from it go to from two million to four million. And then it took so forth and so on until now the doubling happens every like 36 years. In this, in, in this book, I remember they were saying that in order, I think they were saying like a thousand years, in order for Earth to sustain human beings, you would need a building that covers the entire Earth that's a hundred stories high. The first 50 stories is dedicated specifically to housing the people, and the next, hundred, next 50 stories is dedicated specifically to growing the food that we would need in order to survive and that's i mean it, and they they were saying that the way that the growth will be exponentially there'll be trillions of people on earth you know by the year i think they were saying like the year um 3000 or something like that in that book and i'm not sure if that's exactly the quote or not but that was what i learned about in college when i was younger and i thought to myself holy cow this is insane we need to we do need to control the population right but then you start looking into the actual research and you see that as economies become more advanced, as people become richer, they stop having as many kids. If you look at Japan, they're like 1.3 children per family or something like that, which isn't even, which does not have a replacement rate of their population. That's why they're seeing stagnant economy. And ultimately, over time, you'll start seeing their population go down. That's the same thing with America. Yeah, our population continues to go up, but over time the population will come down or remain the same because of the fact that less people have as many kids. I mean, yeah, you have those 18 kids and counting type families and stuff like that. Of course that happens, right? You're going to have those. But but on average, I think it's like 1.7 or 1.8 children per couple. So... Anyway, guys, that's all I got for you. Hopefully, Bernie Sanders doesn't really believe that in his heart of hearts. That would be really good that he does not believe in population control. Bad government policy, great. If you want to get out there and educate people on having less kids, that's fine. I don't care what you do on your own time. I really don't. But one dime of federal funding should not go into anything like that, ever. Because as soon as it becomes a policy of the U.S. government... That is when bureaucracy builds around it and the ball gets rolling to the point where you do have a system of eugenics in America and getting rid of people, you know, in population control. That cannot be a policy of our government. But the reason why we have politicians that can say that stuff, the reason why we have politicians that will sit there and promise you the world is because that seems like what the people in America demand nowadays. So what we need to do as a group is, con- is start educating people on liberty, on freedom, on individual responsibility, on limited government. That's our job to do that so we can change the culture so that politicians will no longer be accepted who are willing to say that we need population control as a form of government policy. We need to change the culture so that when a politician says... I think that the government can take care of medicine better than the private sector can. People will laugh at them and say, yeah, right, we've tried that and it doesn't work. Countries have tried that and it doesn't work. 
We need to depend upon ourselves and our families and our communities. That's where we need to change the culture to. So if you guys continue to talk to your friends about this, I will keep on coming back and bringing you more of the show every single day, all right? Um, if you'd like to, go ahead and give me a five-star rating review if you like what you hear. If it's your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe as well. That'll help you to hear the show tomorrow, or excuse me, on Monday. And also, um, if you'd like to, you can email me, ray at iontheempire.com. Really love to hear y'all's stories about what you're doing for the libertarian movement. Um, talk about liberty to your friends and tell me about it if you'd like. And you could also, I on the Empire, you can find me on Facebook and on Twitter. And then if you'd like to support shows, some of you guys do, you can support this one. It's anchor.fm slash ion2020. And there you'll have a little support button, one ninety nine, or since like I think it's like ninety nine cents, four ninety nine, or nine ninety nine contribution level. And if you want to do that, I will keep on coming back no matter what. But I would appreciate that. All right. Uh, but yeah, come on back tomorrow, and you'll have clear vision for twenty twenty. Hey guys, I'm excited to announce the new podcast I'm coming out with called first year in sales with Ray Eaton. Now, if you're not a salesperson, then it might not be for you. But if you are a salesperson, or if you know another salesperson, go ahead and direct them towards this show. It's going to be a show that is based upon helping somebody that's in their first year in sales, or maybe even somebody that is in sales already, and just wants to brush up on some of the sales skills that they need in order to be successful. I'm focusing on habits and also different parts of the sales process in order to help people to become more successful in their sales job. So like I said, if you know somebody that's in sales, or if you yourself are in sales, go ahead and check out this podcast. It's on all of your podcatchers, anything that you would listen to. And that is called First Year in Sales with Ray Eaton.